problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, the Friday before Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, this this feels like kind of a wrap-up a little bit. Uh, I believe everybody's off next week. And uh, so we're going to talk today about uh, Agile Transformation, the state of Agile and the state of Agile Transformation. But wanted to catch you up on a few things uh, first. Um, so my team and I have been working on um, some ideas to bring uh, book authors to, to market. And uh, we've been doing a test uh, run of that. And uh, the person we were doing that, uh, one of the people that we're doing that with is Tony Luca. Uh, and so my, my voice is a little, little deeper, a little scratchy, because uh, Tony got to swing through Birmingham last night and perform uh, at a venue down here. Uh, so we had some good fellowship time with him and, and got a chance to hang out and uh, his wife and kids were down and uh, I brought my kids along, had a nice dinner. And, and uh, I realized that that I'm getting on the older edge as, you know, he didn't even hit stage until like 1130 at night. And uh, I'm normally, you know, two, two and a half hours passed out by then. Uh, but it was cool, uh, you know, when you get around, you know, people that you grew up with. Um, you just kind of get right back into the, the same old habits. So Tony put on a great show. If, you, if you've not heard of Tony Luca, uh, go uh, check out Ain't No Storm. Um, that is uh, the newest album that came out uh, this year uh, out on Spotify. But uh, he's a former Mickey Mouse Club artist, was on The Voice, uh, but he's been an independent guy uh, for years. I think he's got 17 albums out there. Um, but a phenomenal voice, phenomenal dude, so intelligent. The guy's so, so smart. Um, so I've always enjoyed uh, hanging out and getting a chance to, to be with my man, Tony. Uh, also today, picked up a, a, another title uh, as, as if we needed more things to do. But uh, I, I did want to, to, to make a, a ploy for those of you guys that are listening out there. Um, you know, I work with a lot of John Maxwell team members and a lot of John Maxwell team members want to get into the Global Youth Initiative, want to get into schools. And what people don't realize is, is schools and principals, they get inundated with all these people who want to get to the youth. But there's really, you know, you're not proven, you're not trusted, um, and you're one of, you know, 40 people calling the schools um, that day. And so I went on a little bit of a different path and, and discovered um, just a really good way to be able to um, solve a real problem, but also get into the schools and, and help the children. And that's going through junior achievement. Uh, so junior achievement has already got a, a relationship with all the school systems everywhere. It, it, and they also have curriculum. So for the last four years, um, I've been teaching uh, the entrepreneurship students at Hoover High School, uh, a six-week course that's designed by junior achievement. Now, what's cool about that is is they give you all of the materials. They give you um, essentially scripts, activities, all that kind of stuff. But in each one of them, they want you to infuse who you are and, and being the person that you are. And so I've, I've worked with the Project Management Institute in here in town, and they're like, yeah, we want to get in schools. I work with John Maxwell team. Yeah, we want to get in schools. And then when I go meet with Junior Achievement, they are short hundreds of volunteers every single year. And so I, I feel like that's a problem we can address as a business culture. Um, and so you know, kind of putting my money where my mouth was. I, I, and I, I love JA. I, you know, I remember junior achievement when, when I was in school, which really kind of taught me the skill set to, to become an entrepreneur. It was the first time I ever built something that made a profit and, and knew that I could do this for a living. And so if you go through junior achievement, um, what I started to notice too, is some of the exercises I really liked, some of them I didn't. And, and it's really up to you and the teacher um, and so if you're, if you're scared and, and, you know, you, you really like the structure, then they've got everything time mapped, everything. Um, but if you really like to be innovative and teach, you can do that as well. It's, it's really, uh, an open bag. But about four years ago, I started to, uh, work with junior achievement at Hoover high and, uh, really developed a relationship with, uh, with, uh, Lisa Smith, who, who's the head of the entrepreneurship Academy there. And, uh, then Lisa started to trust me more and allowed me to start bringing some of the John Maxwell team material into class. 
Uh, I help the, the kids prepare their business plans. Many of the students I've worked with continue to, to stay in touch with me as they're in college. And uh, I know of about eight of the kids have actually executed on the business plan that we created in, in the class. And um, one of the girls I know is, is making a ton of money right now in college um, curating uh, clothes collections for, for uh, she calls it game day, game day girl or something of that sort. But essentially she wants to look cute for the football games, but um, all the stuff is kind of tacky. You know, if you see, if you're watching me right now, I've got, you know, one of my Tennessee shirts on They're loud, you know, um, she wanted to curate specific fan collections um, but from, you know, name brand stores and, and to look cute. And that has taken off like wildfire, turned into an Instagram thing for her. And, and uh, she handles no inventory and, and makes a ton of money. So it was really cool um, to, to watch her go through that. But but the point being is your junior achievement chapter in, in town, I guarantee you has slots for volunteers where you can walk right into a school and start to impact these these young kids' lives. And they need to hear from you because most of the teachers – um, are removed. And so one of the titles I picked up today uh, is I became the, the chairperson for uh, the, the committee that essentially helps guide the curriculum for the business and entrepreneurship academies here uh, throughout uh, our district. And what was really telling today was, you know, education for them to develop curriculum, it takes two to three years really to write the curriculum, then it's got to go through, you know, a year long approval process, then it gets to kids. Well, business is moving at such a rapid pace that by the time the curriculum's approved, things have changed. I mean, if you look at marketing, if you look at, um, you know, what's happening in IT, even traditional project management, you know, things are just changing at such a rapid pace. And the educators who a lot of them did come from the business world who study or have a business degree, but they've been removed from the process. And so, you know, some of these ideas and some of these things that we're talking about, they're hearing for the first time. And so if we really want to make sure our kids are prepared, not only for college, but for a, a career path, then we've got to get involved. That's just the way it works. Um, and so I implore you, if, if you've ever wanted to deliver some sort of program or something like that at, at a school, start with junior achievement, and then you'll start to build the relationships you have at school. You become a known and trusted and liked person. And then you can start to roll those programs out. And it's a little bit of a longer play, but it's the right one. And we can solve two problems. One, we can get our material into schools. But two, we can solve the, the kind of volunteer crisis that I'm seeing with Junior Achievement. So that's what I was doing today. Uh, got to meet with Junior Achievement. Got to meet with Hoover High School and Spain Park High School here in town. And uh, start building kind of the next generation of curriculum for business, which leads me to the topic today. Um, I have a, a, a dear friend to me, um, really, I, I would have to say my, my best friend, um, challenged me to really start to work on a mastermind idea. And, and um, you know, they were, they were talking about a little bit of a, a, a higher level, but I started to think through agile and agile transformations and how much misinformation is out there and how much companies really need to connect with each other in a safe space to be able to discuss agile and what's happening and what are some of the statistics and, and what are some ideas that other people that are going through the same thing um, can, can help with each other. So I, I started a website and you're welcome to go uh, do this. It's not officially launched yet, but because you're my people and you're my my listeners, uh, I wanted to release it to you first, uh, but if you simply go to agilemastermind.com and you have any questions that you would love to have an agile expert answer, um, then just fill out that simple form. It'll submit it. What we're going to do is, is I'm going to get a panel of experts and, and uh, you know, John Stenbeck is going to be involved. He, he's the author of Agile Almanac series that, that I contributed to. Um, we've got direct connections to some of the founders of Agile, Scott Ambler and Dean Leffingwells, some of these other guys. Uh, and we're going to go to the experts and we're going to, to build a, a program that answers those questions and, and allows, to, allows you to continue to ask and answer questions directly from the experts without going through the expensive process of hiring an Agile coach. And so why I think that's important and where I see the trend is exactly what we're going to be talking about on today's radio show. So when you start talking about agile transformation, I let, again, let's talk about the misrepresentations uh, of agile out there. It, initially, 
the first thing people will tell you is that agile makes you faster. And, and that is not true. What it does is it enables your value faster. So if you think about it, let's take the, the concept of, of building out a database to help marketers um, target customers better. Let's say that's a project that we want to do. The work is still going to be the work. I mean, if to build a database, you got to have all the inter, uh, interfaces, you got to load all the data, you've got to get the data into a, a place in which people can search and find it and get to the active information that they need. And that all takes time. And going agile isn't going to speed that up. What it's going to do is allow us to slow roll uh, a solution out and start to enable the value faster. So if you look at a typical business intelligence or data warehouse type project, normally those take about a year to do. And you're still going to work on this for a year. But the difference between agile and traditional project management is traditional project management, nothing is, is happening to enable the business for that whole year. You're building the data warehouse. You're thinking of every possible thing that you need. Um, that's where these terms scope creep and that kind of stuff come into play. And you, you build this behemoth and then you roll it out, train people and start to use it. And that's the first point that you start to get feedback. So it's, you know, a year long. What Agile does is say, okay, why don't we first model the data? Why don't we um, sit down with marketing group? Let's take all the accounts, say in Florida or whatever your biggest market is, you know, Texas or California or something of that sort. And let's model what data we would really want to be able to query and kind of work backwards, right? And go ahead and do that by hand at first before we start to invest in infrastructure and all, it, you know, a solution, maybe picking a tool that wasn't the right tool. But it allows us to, to basically model what this solution is going to look like and test it to see if, it, if it's going to work. Now, the cool thing is, is let's say the model works. Well, we could start using that in Florida, Texas, California, wherever you picked and start to enable the value. So, Say that takes the first three months of the projects to really design what we're going to do. Well, now you've got this big market that's able to use this solution and, and this template for nine months while we're delivering or developing a better solution. Also, within that nine months, there's going to be new ideas and pivots and, and, and we're going to see problems with the solution that we can incorporate uh, right away. So our second three months, you know, we, we invest in the technology and we clean all the accounts and we enable another market. And then the, you know, third three months, we, we get all the data in the system that we want. The fourth three months, we start rolling it out market by market. The, the difference is, is we know the solution is going to work. Um, we know that it's been modeled. And as we're bringing market by market up, um, all those people have the opportunity to start to... Um, all the people get an opportunity to start to enable value, start to use the data to make sales. That is an agile mindset, okay? Now, what's interesting is when people decide or companies decide that they're going to go agile, the first thing they do is go to a team and turn a team agile, which I think is the biggest mistake. And, and, and I will speak out against anybody who wants to debate me on that point. If, if somebody walks in and the first thing that they say is we've got to train the entire organization, they're selling training, not transformation. The second thing is, is it, you know, I, I agree with building a team, but if you haven't built the infrastructure around the team, then that team's going to fail. And I'm going to actually walk you through a couple of those instances and then start talking about some statistics that I'm seeing out there in Agile Transformations. But first, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about agile, agile uh, transformation and some of the statistics that are out there. So right before I went to break, I, I said that... Um, if we set up an agile team first, um, but don't give them the surrounding infrastructure, that agile team is going to fail. Let me discuss what I mean about that. Because when I speak to true agilists, this is probably one of the biggest things that um, I'll ruffle their feathers a little bit when we first go at it. But here's the number one thing that I see is if we haven't prepared executives and finance and the business people for this agile team, then the agile team is going to be uh, super unproductive. It, it, they're just not going to produce anything because um, nobody knows how to speak agile yet. And so the agilists will come to me and go, well, that's why we say we're going to train everybody. But what you do when you train everybody is you're training them in a methodology, not a mindset. So agile is a methodology. When you look at scrum or say for all the, they've got ceremonies and they, and they have a prescriptive method to say, this is how you go agile. So people think, okay, if I go learn that, then we're going to be agile. But what it doesn't address is language and reporting and understanding of what agile really means. And so I was working with, with a, a really cool organization. Um, I don't want to say their name, but they, they had brought me in. They're just in the beginning of their agile transformation and had brought me in for just open discussion and dialogue and one of the things I challenged them with is to be what I call two PIs ahead. Uh, PI is a programming increment. It's something that's used in SAFE. And essentially what a PI does is you take um, basically features um, and, and strategy and, and items, even something that we call epics. So if you're, if you're unfamiliar with Agile, let me just start there. Uh, you take a strategy, that strategy is then... Um, broken down to themes. Themes are generally broken down to epics. Epics are not time box. They're, they, they could take multiple iterations. Then you have what's called a feature, and the feature, again, could go across multiple iterations, but that essentially, that feature is a piece of functionality. So uh, we're going to create a search screen, or, or we're going to develop this report, or we're going to develop this query. That, that, that's what a feature does. If you think about uh, your iPhone, there's several features on the iPhone. Each one of those was something that was broken down into an agile chart. So you have features. From features, you have user stories. Now, user stories are generally time boxed within work that can be completed within two weeks. So uh, again, if we're if we have a feature that says we want the a, a customer to be able to reset their password on our website by themselves, so feature number one would be how do we how do they submit a form. Um, or I'm sorry, if that's the feature, user story one would be, how do we submit the form? User story two would be, how do we reset the password and get it to them? Uh, feature, or user story three could be, you know, what we need to set up. Now, under those user stories, people then break those down into tasks, and that's how, how we do the work. What I notice, though, is when companies first go agile, they're throwing strategic themes across to, uh, to the technical teams and the technical teams don't know what to work on. So for instance, using the same thing, instead of telling them we want the customer to be able to reset their password on the website, um, they'll throw over the wall, like improve the customer experience on our website. And that, I mean, that can mean tons of things. And that's what they give to the agile team. And then they say, go to work. And the agile team doesn't even really know what that means yet. So 
there, there's not a lot of work or preparation for the agile team to understand what it is that they're supposed to be producing. Now, once we say allow self-service on, on, on a password reset, then you let your technology teams go. Don't tell them how to do it. Let them come up with the how. But we still have to tell them the what and not in big thinking. So what I challenge organizations to do if we're really going to go agile is to get, uh, and I build what's called an epic readiness matrix, but basically take your strategic themes, break those down into epics, and those epics then can be broken down into features. And once we can project at least six months worth of work of features, then we take the team agile. Because now we're really being able to do trade-off scenarios. Are we doing the most valuable work first? So on and so forth. And really, that's a structure of portfolio management. That's what portfolios do is you take a large strategy, build projects, and then the, you subdivide the projects and you go to work. Here's an interesting statistics that, that I found on, um, you know, what, what methods, what agile methods are, are being deployed. And one of the biggest agile methods that are, are, are being deployed um, is, is around, again, uh, the, the, the breaking up of the work. And if, if you look at like all the different things you can do in Agile, they surveyed, and this comes from stateofagile.com. They, they're kind of a de facto um, survey organization that is surveying companies about the state of Agile in, in their organization. So they said 86% of the companies that responded do what's called a daily standup. A daily standup means you have an Agile team, they get together once a day and they stand up and each person says, this is what I completed. This is what I plan to complete. And here's any impediments that I have. It's supposed to be like a 15 minute in and out kind of meeting. Well, that means 80% of the 86% of the companies have agile teams. Now, 33% of the companies said that they're doing any kind of agile portfolio planning. And 38% of those companies said that they were doing story mapping. 45% said they were doing product road mapping. That's nuts to me. That tells me that over half of the organizations that are going agile have no strategic plan that's being broken down to the agile teams. That's what that means. It means 86% of the teams are busy and they're doing work. But, but only 33% of the organizations have um, a, a portfolio planning where we know how we're funding the teams and how we know what's coming up and, and a strategic and a product roadmap essentially is like your, your one-year goal where you say, okay, here's where we want the product to be. Now let's break that up into strategic themes, which then goes into epics and then into features and the user stores. So what the daily standup is doing, and by the way, 80% are doing sprint and iteration planning. And so what a lot of these organizations are doing, what I've personally witnessed in most companies, which is they throw strategic themes over the wall to IT and they'll get them like three days before they're supposed to plan out their next quarter's worth of activities. And they don't even know what it means. And now they're supposed to develop a bunch of work, commit to it and put together a plan of where they're going to go for the next three months. Well, if the organization doesn't know what the roadmap is, for the next year, it's kind of like, um, you know, trying, trying to, to go cross country. Um, and instead of telling you all the cities I want you to visit in what order, I just keep throwing cities at you, which means you have to double back and reverse and right. You, you may be in California and then I want you in Florida and then back in California versus looking at all of our work and hitting the two spots in California, then going to Florida, right. It, it, that's essentially what these companies are doing. And these are the same companies that are going, yeah, Agile doesn't work for us. Well, you deployed it wrong. You, 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 you put the teams Agile first, but one of the biggest issues that I see is that executives um, haven't changed how they want to be reported. So for those of you that are in the industry, there's, we have Waterfall and we have Agile. Waterfall is governed by uh, budgets, dates, milestones. Agile is supposed to be governed by uh, value of delivery, um, return on investment, right? And speed to value, time to work. Well, they go agile, but then all the executives start asking them for milestone charts, start asking them for what date they're going to be finished, what, what's the budget going to be. They're asking questions that agile is, is not only supposed to walk away from, 
but but really we can't ascertain that information in the way that we're doing the plan and it's just silly to to kind of watch because we haven't changed the culture surrounding the team we've just changed the team so it's almost like saying you know my car to run faster so let's let's uh fix the upholstery in the driver's seat that's what we're going to start with it doesn't address the car, doesn't address the weight, doesn't address the engine, doesn't address the speed. We, so we say that we want the car to go fast, and then we tell the teams, you know, make it faster, uh, start with a seat. And it doesn't make sense, but that's what these organizations are doing. So if you start to look at, um, you know, what are those barriers to success in, in Agile, these same companies that were, were – um, that were uh, – surveyed, not surprisingly to me at all. So if 86% are doing uh, daily standups, only, you know, 30 some odd percent are doing any kind of road mapping or um, portfolio planning, 52% of these companies say that the number one issue that they're dealing with is the organizational culture is at odds with agile values. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's a more eloquent way for me to say it, but essentially what they're saying is, what Agile is promising us to do and what we need to do to be successful in Agile, the organizational culture hasn't changed, so therefore we're at odds with each other and we're conflicting. 48% says that the general organization is resistant to change. Well, if we're resistant to change, why are we changing in the first place? And I'll tell you why. Because they've been sold a bill of goods that says all you have to do is go Agile and you'll be faster, and you'll get better software, and you'll deal with the customers better. But they don't do anything around changing the organizational structure to support Agile, and they don't do anything. Like one of my favorite things uh, that Agile promises is high-performing teams. Okay, that's cool. But what are you doing to invest in those high-performing teams? Like how, how does a team become high performing just because you formed them? They're, they're going to be high performing or are they going to be high performing because we are setting dedicated time to do team building activities in order for them to, to develop as a high performing team. So these are the things that, that I'm starting to see statistically map out and match kind of the things I've observed in most of the companies that, that I've done agile transformation for. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a little break. I'm going to come back and discuss some of those other issues they're running into. And then I'm going to give you some tips uh, and tricks and things that uh, we can do to solve some of these issues. Uh, so we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance. Uh, we're talking about agile transformations, the state of agile, and, and really finding some statistics that, that are out there that, um, that to me, are, they're not surprising, but I, I'm glad that we're starting to see these statistics uh, start to come out. Um, so we were talking uh, right before the break about one of the biggest issues uh, was around the fact that we're taking the teams agile, but we're not changing the supporting structure. And if you look at the survey results of these companies, again, this is from stateofagile.com, uh, which this is their 13th report. The 14th report is underway, um, but they they do a great job at compiling these statistics. Um, so if you look at just their challenges experienced with, with adopting and scaling agile, most organizations, number one thing they report is organizational culture at odds with agile values. Then they say general organization is resistant to change. Third is inadequate management support and sponsorship. So again, that's all executive, 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 executive. And, um, but when they start looking at what are the five tips for success when scaling agile, the number one thing that they choose, and it, look, me being an agile coach, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing that the number one thing is to have uh, a, a internal agile coach. That they're saying that's the number one thing that helps them. But what I've noticed even with agile coaching is that they are coaching them about what the ceremonies mean and what, what people are supposed to be doing and that kind of stuff versus really digging into the corporate culture and kind of fixing what's broken there. Um, and so I'll give you a perfect example and, I, and I'll give you a, a tip here. But one of the biggest struggles that people have when, they, when they're doing an agile transformation is how do they measure the success of, of the product, of what it is that they produce. Now, traditionally in a project, um, you say, you know, we're going to spend a million dollars, we're going to be done by December 31st, and we're going to get $3 million in return. That's, that's your standard kind of uh, way that projects are looked at. So then, did it cost a million dollars, yes or no, and, you know, did you go over budget? And if you're over budget, then that's, that's a ding on project management. Did you hit the date of December 31st? Um, you know, yes or no. And then weirdly enough, most organizations don't truly track if there was the return on investment. So we were supposed to get 3 million, you know, over the next three years in, in return. But did we? Like most people don't track that. And, and to be fair, trying to track all of that uh, could be, could be, um, costly, time-consuming, and most people don't have the time to do it, so they don't. But I find that odd that we use that as the, uh, the methodology for us to get the project, but we, we don't actually go and, and validate. So when you're looking then at Agile, they're like, well, what's this product going to cost? And, and really, the answer to that question is, the moment our investment doesn't increase the value, we should stop investing in the product. So there's no real set term. What you do is you fund a team for a quarter and you say, okay, we're going to allow this team to work on this product and we want to see the value of what they produce um, exceed the cost of the team. It's actually even a little bit more simpler model to look at. Um, but um, again, then how do you establish the value? Well, value then... Um, needs to be discussed as part of the strategic theme of how are we going to measure? What do we expect? What, what do we hope to see? So on and so forth. So I propose a whole new term. So uh, I, I know a lot of organizations that look at ROI, return on investment, or NOC, net operating cost. And, and I'd like to suggest NOV, which is net operating value, where, where funding decisions, you know, right now, if you come up with a new idea, then you got to find out how much it's going to cost. Then you got to go get that budgeted. And when you try to go get that budgeted, um, then the, the question becomes, you know, well, what are we going to kick out of the budget or what are we not going to do? But really with the net operating value of, uh, I'll give you an example. There's a company I was working with that there, there, there's a project that's on the table that they are projecting a $10 million return for a million dollar uh, investment. Uh, that $10 million return should come in within the next year from when this million dollar investment is complete. So now they're trying to, they have the sensitive ask of asking for a million dollars and more people and increasing headcount, that kind of stuff. And that's traditionally a very uncomfortable conversation. But if we take that same conversation and turn around and say, 
what would we be willing to give for $10 million in revenue return? And this becomes a joint uh, partnership between the business and IT. And so IT can say, look, you know, we're going to work our, our hardest to contain the cost of a million dollars. And business is going to sign up to go get that $10 million in revenue when, when they are given the tool that, that they asked for. And so now our, our interests are aligned. But instead of saying, wow, it's going to cost a million dollars, the net operating value of that's $9 million. You basically say, so the, the net to the bottom line is going to be $9 million. That's, that's the figure. Or are you willing to give 10% of the revenue in order to get the 90% of the revenue to the bottom line? Something of that sort, right? Are you, are you willing to, to invest $1 million to get 10 Now, I know a lot of investors. I'm pretty sure 99.9% of them would give me the million dollars if I could return 10 and obviously, that's not a guarantee. But what happens is, let's let's shake it out a little bit. Let's say it costs one point five million, right? And let's say we missed our revenue target; we only brought eight. That's you know, it's still a six point five million dollar net operating value. And I think that if we look in terms of the value in the business, then the cost becomes ancillary. The cost becomes the risk to 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 go after it. But it's not this huge procedure, like we're adding a million dollars of expense to the organization, we're really looking to add $9 million of profit and to be able to measure it and prove it, right? So, that's that's a whole new concept out there. Second concept, and, and uh, if you guys just simply email me, I'm, I'm happy to, to shoot you a calculator, but it's it's a way to, to take the risk out of the costs of projects. And, and I actually told this story um, I actually had a really personal story uh, about a client um, you know, back in 2005 where I had uh, pitched my cost and they asked me to reduce my rate and I was really confident we could develop the solution. So what I, what I pitched to them was uh, the ability, you know, I said, look, I'll take a lower rate, but when my team delivers what we say we can deliver, when we say we can deliver it, then, then you're going to, to give me um, you're going to, to basically make me whole. Well, that company went away and they came back and they said, you know what? Um, and let's just play with some even numbers right now. So um, my rate uh, at the time was $235 an hour. And they said, I said, look, I'll take $200 an hour. But when we deliver what we say we can deliver, when we say we can deliver it, you're going to write me a check for $35 times every hour that we built. They came back and they said, you know what? If you can do it in the time frame you say, we'll actually give you $60 more an hour. And I really started to sit down with them and understand um, how they came up with that, right? So long story short on that, we hit that a threshold. We were driven to get it done in a certain time frame. We got it done. Turned out to be the project of the year for a huge organization. And, and we got a nice bonus check. We, we essentially, you know, you know got a, a fat check at the end for being successful and everybody's interests were aligned versus, you know, how much is this going to cost and all this other stuff. What they had projected to me, they said, all right, we think it's it's lofty. And again, let's play with some even numbers. We're, if you can do this by this date, that's actually four months earlier than we were expecting, right? So there's a time to market and a market savings and a net effect for all that. Um, they said, okay, if you get it in the four months, we'll give you 60 bucks. And three months early, we'll give you 45 bucks on top. Two months early, we're going to give you what you asked to ask for at two thirty-five. If it's only one month early, then we're going to only give you fifteen dollars. And if you go beyond that, then we're staying at two hundred. And what they were really doing was just simply mitigating their cost risk. If you look at the net effect of what was happening to the organization, if they were able to use this technology four months early, then they would make an by they give us a bonus of like ninety grand but they would drop an additional hundred grand to the bottom line. If three months, they would give us uh, like 81,000, but they would drop 87,000 to the bottom line. And so essentially what they were doing was, was splitting the time to market revenue or cost savings or whatever it may be with us as the incentive, but mitigating their costs throughout. And it was brilliant. So I've actually taken that concept 
and built a, a agile negotiation calendar. So when I'm working with vendors, I can introduce a structure that does the very same thing. So that's, that's a really cool tool. Uh, something you guys can hit me up for. Uh, the big tip I want to give you, um, though, is how do we develop the high-performing teams? And the most successful thing that I've seen, bar none, is the art of a roundtable. Roundtables are value-based. I've done a whole show uh, uh, about uh, global priority solutions. We talk about country transformations. I mean, we're using the same methodology to transform countries. But what, what's great about it is it's a 30-minute time-boxed meeting once a week. And so what this says then is if I employ these techniques together in an agile fashion, then what happens is we can sit down with, with the teams and in 30 minutes discuss a value that aligns to the corporate culture and the organizational culture that we want. And values would be like listening, you know, empathy and teamwork and dedication, commitment, things like that. And basically lead the team through and the team does this on, on their own. There's nobody else involved. Um, they discuss commitment, what it means to commit, what, uh, you know, what missing a commitment would mean. And then they each pledge to do something where they can work on that value for the next week. All right. And so the next week comes along and this time we're going to talk about listening. And so the first thing we do is check in on how'd you do on your commitment work. And now we're going to go to listening. Well, just through that discussion, I can tell you that the team is going to form. You're going to know things about people. You're going to hear things about people that you weren't aware of. And the team itself gets closer through getting very personal with each other about this stuff. But if we don't invest that time, then the likelihood of them becoming a high-performing team is slim to none. So the, the roundtable technique has been the greatest thing that I've seen because it literally is just 30 minutes a week. And the, the back-end benefits that we've seen from this has been tremendous, specifically around the teams trusting each other, the teams really communicating with each other, understanding where each other's coming from. So that's one of the largest tips I can give you to help you with your Agile transformation. We're going to take a final break right here. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We've been talking about Agile Transformation. I talked through some of the, if you're just tuning into the show, and we talked about some of the issues that I've seen, some statistics that support that, um, what are some of the biggest barriers that organizations are facing, and in the last segment, just shared with you three of my favorite tips uh, that I bring to organizations around net operating value, a negotiation uh, calendar, and roundtables to develop your high-performing teams. What's interesting and in, in, um it's certainly not lost on me. Notice I haven't suggested a tool, a piece of software. 
um, I think, you know, while software in terms of organizing the work and whether you're looking at like an Agile Central or Jira or, um, you know, uh, any of those tools that are out there, um, I think they're beneficial, but I think you need to go through the transformation and understand that what we need prior to doing that. One of the, the, uh, the third biggest thing that I'm brought in for in organizations. So the biggest thing is, um, is doing the portfolio planning and agile and understanding how to change the executive mindset around the work that's being done. That's the number one reason why I get brought into organizations. Number two is that the teams are disjointed. So we need to build high performing teams and, and really get into that. The third thing is they got themselves into a tool set that drove their process and their process isn't fitting what the tool set means. So um, they really didn't know what they were doing and, and were just kind of feeling things out. So they bought a piece of software, followed the process that the software pushes, and now they're out of compliance or they're doing workarounds and not being able to get the information out uh, of the tool. Um, so your tool is really kind of your last thing that you go through. And there's, there's a ton of stuff out there um, that, uh, that you can pick up, but um, really to me, implementation uh, of a common tool across the teams is important, but that's like the fifth or sixth thing that's important. You know, I think that there should be some sort of uh, internal coach, uh, agile coach that's assisting. Um, and really it doesn't really even have to be a full-time person. Just somebody can come in, you know, every couple of weeks and check on the pulse of things, create new suggestions, find new ways to navigate processes. Um, I think your other thing is executive sponsorship. That's uh, how involved your executives are and how they speak towards the environment is going to be extremely important. Um, I think training programs are important. I just don't want you to start there uh, because what ends up happening is the organizations start arguing about terms and ceremonies and things like that versus really trying to get in and solve what, what this transformation is going to look like. Um, so therefore I, I would start with consistent practices and processes across the team. So then I can implement a common tool across the team. So those are my tips to successfully start to scale agile. And the, the biggest rule though, is to be two PIs ahead. It's, it's to have enough work to give to the agile team to where we're really working on the most valuable work first and that we can make trade-off decisions um, versus trying to invent work to fill a sprint, which is something that I see often. You can always reach out to me at rick at rickamorris.com, rmorris.rsquareconsulting.com. If you've got questions about these tools, if you want to hear these processes, um, you can also go to calendly.com, C-A-N-D-E-L-Y, calendly.com slash r2consulting and book time directly with me if you'd like to discuss any of these things. Would be happy to do so. Um, as we talked about next week is, is Thanksgiving. And so um, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, I believe uh, that the station is dark. So we're not going to have a show uh, next week. Uh, they'll be doing some replays and we will be back uh, December 6th, which is going to be a really interesting show. Um, I participated in a couple of different virtual conferences for PMI, uh, Project Management Institute. I hosted these worldwide virtual conferences and we're talking about like 60,000 people on it. It was really, really cool. And one of them was talking about uh, artificial intelligence, AI. And there's all of this new, these new reports and data that, that um, these uh, robotic process automation tools, these RPA tools or AI uh, machine learning is going to replace the project manager. And I, and I, I, I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. I think that they're going to be able to automate some of the mundane tasks so that I can make better decisions and really actually spend my time planning and looking forward versus um, collecting what was done and reporting. Um, but uh, we're actually going to bring on a, a true expert of RPA. Uh, uh, Moar Riva is, uh, he is, uh, was one of the founders of this software and is, has evolved. It was a smaller organization that was bought by a company called Nice. Um, but he is one of the most intelligent and uh, in, in-depth in experts that I have ever met around robotic process automation and what that means to the workforce. So we're actually going to have him on December 6th. 
uh, and talk through how AI is really going to be improving, how we can um, bring the, the people-centric um, processes and automate the, the mundane non-people-centric uh, processes so that we can really turn our workers into more knowledge workers and not people who cut and paste and move things around and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm really excited uh, to have him on the show uh, December 6th. Um, also then on uh, Friday, December 13th, uh, um, I've been really getting involved and we've, we've done a show on, on the power of persuasion, the principles of persuasion. And, and I've talked in the past of um, working with, with Dr. Cialdini. Uh, I actually am going to, to Arizona the, the 9th through the 13th. And what I have to do is I actually have to present uh, Dr. Cialdini's information to Dr. Cialdini. Uh, is as part of uh, a certification that I want to go through um, to where uh, I, I, I can have uh, a certification to, to teach on the powers of persuasion and utilize the, the data and intellectual property of, of Dr. Cialdini. Um, so I, I'm going for what we call a Cialdini method certified trainer, um, but uh, really cool process. Probably the first time in a certification that I've ever had to take knowledge from somebody and present it back to the guy who created the knowledge, right? It's, it's, it's a little daunting, but uh, it's exciting at the same time. So we're doing that in December as well. And then we'll do our uh, end of the year show uh, coming up as well. And then we're into 2020, which is crazy. I cannot believe 2020 is here um, so quickly, but uh, as always, we appreciate the ride. We appreciate you uh, gifting us your Fridays, listening in, uh, listening in on the podcast all over the world um, and uh, just blessed to be able to uh, have a voice and have a show. Um, I think we just crossed uh, the the three-year anniversary going into my fourth year of doing the work-life balance, which is uh, super exciting as well. Uh, so we'll continue to bring it. If you continue to listen, we'll continue to do it. Um, always reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of those platforms. Happy to talk to you. Happy to discuss anything that we've talked about. And uh, again, uh, next Friday we'll be off, but the Friday following, we'll see you right here on the Work-Life Balance. Stay tuned to this uh, station to hear more fantastic content from Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.